Friends, let us listen together for the word of God from the gospel according to Matthew in the third chapter. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper in this way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice came from the heavens and said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is my Son. The Beloved. This story is also told in the Gospel of Luke in much the same way, but in the second person. A voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Or another translation also fits, With you I am delighted. I am delighted with you. In the Gospel of Luke, in the ninth chapter, a very similar thing happens during the Transfiguration. The voice comes from heaven and then says, You are my son, the beloved. This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And so on this day, I want all of these words and phrases to echo and reverberate in our hearts, in our minds, as we ponder together what it means to be beloved. Because these words are not only spoken over Christ and his baptism, but are spoken over us as well. Following the sermon, you will be invited to participate in a ritual of coming forward to reaffirm your baptism vows. If you've never been baptized before, You can come forward to receive the sacrament of baptism. If you hope to be baptized one day in the future, you could also meditate on that. But if you have been baptized, when you come forward, Ariana and I will be pouring water over everyone's hands, and you can bless yourself with the sign of the cross and recall those promises made over you at your baptism. The familiar understanding of baptism... I think, is usually something like washing away of a sin, a fresh start. It sounds to me something like a laundry detergent commercial, like baptism, shout it out, or baptism, a magic eraser, erase some invisible imperfection with you. Baptism in many traditions is also considered a requirement for entrance to heaven, This is so serious that in some traditions it's believed that babies who die before baptism will not go straight to heaven. They might never get there or they might wait a long time in purgatory. So many families make the first trip out of their home with a new baby directly to the church so the baby can have the sacrament of baptism. But are you uncomfortable with this talk of sin and forgiveness? that surrounds baptism. I think many of us in mainstream Protestant churches are, and as a whole, we have strayed pretty far from our roots and from the scriptures, which talk about sin and forgiveness. When we talk about baptism, we talk more about God's blessing, God's love, and being enfolded into a community of faith. But language of sin and forgiveness is definitely there in our scriptures and in our book of worship. We might 
try to talk around it, acting as though it isn't polite, just like talking about money. And we could say this is a wise choice when far too often talking about sin and forgiveness is just another way that the Bible can be used as a weapon in the hands of those who want to use it to other people or shame or oppress rather than liberate. God save us from being that kind of people. You also might say we stay away from talk of sin because Sunday morning should have us feeling uplifted and inspired, and talking about sin is just such a drag, isn't it? Do you want to hear those old-timey sermons, sinners in the hands of an angry God? Well, God save me from being that kind of preacher. In most churches, there is still a moment in the service for a corporate confession usually printed in the bulletin and read in unison, as though we all have the same exact things to confess. And then it is followed by my favorite part in the sermon, other than the benediction, which is the assurance of pardon when we are reminded that we are a forgiven people. At First Church, we leave this out of our liturgy week to week. We do not have corporate confession and assurance of pardon. It has been the tradition to leave it out, as far as I can tell, for decades. We usually only have it on Ash Wednesday and sometimes occasionally during Lent. But there are other times we can't get around it. Every time we come to the communion table, we remember that Jesus said to his friends to take and drink the cup which is poured out for them and for all people for forgiveness of sins. And we do say in baptism that baptism with water and the Holy Spirit is the mark of our acceptance into the care of Christ's church, the sign and seal of our participation in God's forgiveness and the beginning of our growth into full Christian faith and discipleship. And we also say in our United Church of Christ statement of faith, You promise to all who trust you forgiveness of sins and fullness of grace. So something about a life of faith means that we have to understand these two sides of the same coin, sin and forgiveness of sin, even if we don't want to talk about it and it makes us a little bit squeamish. We have to be able to confess where we missed the mark And then hear the reminder that we are God's beloved anyway. Because, of course, we do fall down and need to pick ourselves back up and try again and again. No, we are not perfect. And yes, we can always strive to repair our relationships and improve ourselves and repair the wider world. But I think that while we shy away from talking about sin and forgiveness, we still feel and bear within us all too often, a deep sense of hurt and shame and a sense of unworthiness, whether we acknowledge it or not. There is a legend which is probably just that, but I think it helps us get started on a new way to think about baptism and forgiveness today. So here is the legend. One day, Thomas Edison came home and gave a paper to his mother. He told her, my teacher gave this paper to me and told me only to give it to my mother. His mother's eyes were tearful as she read the letter out loud to her child. Your son is a genius. This school is too small for him and doesn't have enough good teachers for training him. 
Please keep him home and teach him yourself. Many years later, after Edison's mother had died, he was looking through old family things. Now he was one of the greatest inventors of the century, and he suddenly saw a folded piece of paper in the corner of a desk drawer. He took it and opened it up. On the paper was written, Your son is addled. We cannot let him come to our school anymore. Edison cried for hours, and then he wrote in his diary that Thomas Edison was an adult child that by a hero mother became the genius of the century. We all need to thrive in an environment where we are loved, where we are valued, where we are told we are good. And yet, how rare is it? Sometimes these messages come from the wider world telling us we are bad or unworthy of love. Some of them might become internalized. We might put pressure on ourselves to be good or right or to fit a mold not made for us, always feeling out of step. And I think we have to acknowledge, too, that our society has set an arbitrary norm that places value on human beings and sends strong messages, sometimes spoken aloud and sometimes very subtle, but insidious. It is clear that there is a way to be a most valued type of person. These most valued people, young Thomas ran across one that says people ought to be what they call neurotypical. You ought to think and learn in a certain way. But these norms set a binary and cover all of our identities. To be valued most of all, of course, and especially as we remember yet another incident of a young unarmed black man murdered at the hands of police who did not see his inherent value as a sacred human being. We cannot deny that society tells us that to be correct, we ought to be white, preferably male. If male, then masculine. If not male and female, then preferably feminine. Straight, typically, preferably, once a certain age married. Smart in a certain way, successful, fit, independent, tall, extroverted. We could go on and on and on of ways that society divides people into camps and places more value, greater dignity on one type of person than another. Being a human being should be enough to be known we are of equal value. In explaining what baptism means from the Acts of the Apostles, it took Peter a long time to wrestle with this idea until finally he could preach this sermon. I truly understand now that God shows no partiality. It took him a long time that God loved all people equally and that the promise of baptism was for everyone. So we say every Sunday that we are all made in the image and likeness of God and we are all loved, but out in the world the message is so often different. 
And the ways that we don't present in that valued way can lead so many people into shame and self-doubt and low self-esteem. And so I would love to say that for so many people, they are able to overcome that and conquer it and love themselves just the way they are, no matter what, and certainly some people can. But so many people end up walking around with a very long-running commentary about how bad they are. Even those who might fit most of the so-called categories could have this internal voice as well, feeling flawed and in need of improvement. Sometimes we hear someone say something very very self-deprecating out loud that we know they would never say to anyone else, only themselves. How many of us live with a harsh internal critic that is like a little bully, name-calling and blaming, pointing fingers, having you say of yourself, oh, I am such a fill-in-the-blank. Therapists and psychologists estimate that 80% of us walk around with this harsh internal voice, and almost all of us experience it some of the time. If this doesn't apply to you, I won't put you on the spot right now, but if you've overcome this, I want you to lead a workshop for the rest of us at Fellowship Hour. Please just let me know in the connecting corridor and we will uh, sign the other 80% up for the workshop. What do you say to yourself about yourself in your head? Do you compare yourself to others and judge yourself lacking? Do you blame yourself for things that are most certainly not your fault? Do you imagine that things are going to sort themselves out in the worst way possible? Do you tell yourself things that only a playground bully would say to you? Do you listen to that voice of the wider world telling you that somehow you don't measure up to some arbitrary standard or norm? Do you ruminate on the past, on things you wish you could change? replaying regrets on a constant loop? Martin Luther suffered with feeling as though he had to defend himself against the powers of evil, and what he would say in response when he started feeling that oppressive voice would say back, Behold, I am baptized, or I am a child of God, I am baptized. Baptism isn't a golden ticket into heaven, or as Danielle Schroyer writes in Original Blessings, which I think most of you have heard of because it's a favorite book of both David Spollett's and mine. She says, baptism isn't a get-out-of-hell-free card. But what if, in remembering our baptisms today, it is a ticket out of being so hard on ourselves? to remember God's voice, and to let it be louder than all the others. You are mine. You are my beloved. You are my child. I am delighted with you. I wonder about Jesus in the moment of his baptism. Why did he say to John, it's necessary for it to happen in this way to fulfill all righteousness? I've never quite understood what that meant. If Jesus was blameless and without sin, but needed a baptism in the River Jordan just like everyone else, 
I wonder if he didn't also suffer as fully human from this internalized negative self-talk and need that blessing from God. He was harassed and hounded throughout his ministry by the naysayers who called him names and criticized his every move, scribes and Pharisees who mocked him and his teachings, always planning to trick or entrap him. Did he also internalize all of those voices of hatred and need them to be hushed? He also used a turn of phrase that I love when he was teaching. You have heard it said, but I say to you, and would challenge what had gone before. A perfect way to do what some call a reframe. You have heard it said, but I say to you, and turn it around. Friends, you are forgiven. Wherever you thought you didn't measure up, God loves you the way you are. You are named, claimed by God, and you should let yourself feel forgiven. You are invited to set yourself free from that voice, from that internalized shame and negative self-talk, to see yourself as good and loved, to know God as a God who, just like Thomas Edison's mother, would scratch out that note and say, you are a genius, to scratch out all the words that are levied against you and say, you are precious, you are sacred, You are good and you are loved. Baptism is only the beginning of a relationship with God and just a start in being a follower of Jesus. Once we are loved like this, we can't abide by a world where others are shamed for being the way they are. To quote the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., to passively accept an unjust system is to cooperate with that system and thereby to become a participant in its evil. As people of faith, we have to stand against a system that tells some people they are better or more worthy. Once you know the new life that is given to you in baptism, we need to live in a different way that proclaims God's good news to all people. So let's train our hearts and minds to hear what God is always saying to us. When you hear that little voice start to pipe up, quiet it down and listen for God. As we enter the waters of baptism in our minds, confess and repent of all that hurt and shame. Strip it all off and lay it down beside the river. Imagine sinking down into the waters of baptism and let those voices wash away, carried downstream. And imagine breaking out of the waves to hear God's voice. You are mine. I love you. I choose you. I am delighted with you exactly the way I made you. We are made in the image of God, always beloved, always chosen. Never cut off from God's presence and blessing, we were and always will be loved. Thanks be to God.